3: Hi, guys, and welcome to a new episode of Union Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat. I'm the host. I'm so glad you're here. And from the beginning, we like to remind everybody that although this is a podcast about mental health, about life, about therapy, and I'm a therapist, this podcast does not serve as a replacement or as a substitute for actual mental health services. However, it still can be helpful. Now, today is a special episode was really not a special episode, but I wanna make every episode a special episode. Um, But this week it's special because yesterday was my birthday. And so I'm thinking of this episode as my birthday episode. And so I'm thinking of this episode as really a gift from me directly To all of you listening, which is why we are going to be talking about what we are talking about today. Now, I'm recording this before my birthday happens. So I can't really give you an update or tell you anything that I learned when I turned 33 because I still have two more days for that to happen. But this Wednesday on Couch Talks, just a heads up, I am going to be doing a little gift guide, like a meaningful gift guide. I thought it would be really cool to put together a podcast talking about certain gifts that are special to give and receive and just give you some ideas for things if you want to give something that has a little meaning to it. So if you guys have any ideas or things that you've received or given in the past, let me know and I might include those. I'm going to keep the list kind of small because you know, one of the things I love about gift guides is there are limited options and it helps me narrow things down. So, I'm going to take my favorite things and put them in there. And so, I say that because maybe one day I might give you some information on what it feels like to be a 33 year old for all of you that um, haven't got there and are wondering. Now, for this episode this week, again, this I'm thinking about is um, like a gift from me, from the insides of me, my heart to you guys. And so, Last year at this time, I released an episode called 15 Things That Being a Therapist Taught Me, and I was going to do around two of that, and I started um, picking out what things I wanted to put in that list, and then I was thinking, what if I just talked about basic things that have helped me move through this specific year, not just as Catherine the therapist, but as Catherine the person, and I will say this year has been one of my favorites yet, it has been full of a ton of travel. I I didn't think I did or was doing as much until finally I was like looking back at my camera roll and I was like, oh my gosh, I've gone a million places this year. So it's been full of travel. It's been full of events. It's been full of falling in love very unexpectedly. And between all of this, there's also been a lot of discomfort. I feel like this has been one of my favorite years, like I said. And I cried so much this year. Those tears have meant different things, some sadness, some joy, some confusion. But this year has also been full of apologies and letdowns and things like that. And so what I want to give you today is some of the helpful parts of my own inner dialogue that have been ingrained in my brain that have not only helped me kind of sit in and experience and feel the goodness that I've had this year, but it's also helped me move through and accept some of the icky stuff as well. So some of these things you've heard before, I'm sure, and heard me say before, some of them might be new to you. And what I want to encourage you guys to do is take what you want and leave what you don't. That's one of the cool things about being individuals. We don't have to agree with everything someone thinks and says and does in order to agree with some of the things. So Let's just get into the list because you know I'm going to go into some tangents and, you know, for time's sake, let's jump in. Okay, number one, to accept forgiveness, you also have to forgive yourself. And I'm starting with this one because I actually had to call upon it this morning after I did a little overreacting with a situation that involved Patrick, my boyfriend, and Christmas pajamas. And it came up this morning because after this situation, I woke up feeling less upset with the situation and more upset with myself because, of course, Sweet Patrick was fine and he was not judging me or trying to disagree or prove a point. He kind of accepted and then his part of the track and wanted to find a solution. So this brings into the idea that when we do things that don't align with our morals and our values, often we get a rush of guilt. And this guilt is there to let us know, hey, that wasn't cool. And the gift of that guilt, the gift of that feeling is repair of the relationship or whatever that affected. When I recognize that I have done something that's out of character, I can then take steps towards repairing that relationship. I can apologize and then I get to experience hopefully the grace of forgiveness. However, when we turn guilt into toxic shame, that's not the experience we have. Toxic shame says, rather than I did something bad, I am bad. And toxic shame puts us in a jail cell that we think is locked, but actually isn't. And I think a lot of times the jail cell only even has like three walls. All we have to do is turn around and walk out. We don't even need to like open a door. When we feel toxic shame, there is no reconciliation. There's no repair. If I am bad, then I just am bad, and that's that. And over vacation, I went on a vacation with my family for Thanksgiving for a week. And over vacation, I said something to Patrick, my boyfriend, that kind of came out of nowhere. This is separate from the pajama situation, but this thing kind of came out of nowhere. Well, I take that back. It didn't come out of nowhere. In reality, I was trying to suppress some emotions about something. And then I couldn't do that anymore because that's not how emotions and feelings work. And I said something that wasn't kind and it wasn't in a kind way. And as soon as I said it and I saw the look on Patrick's face, I immediately wanted to apologize profusely. And I, I did apologize over and over. And of course, being the sweet, understanding human that he is, he said to me over and over, it's okay, I forgive you. And he meant that. I'm assuming Patrick probably saw that I did something bad. But that comment did not turn me into a bad person in his brain. Whereas for me, I went down a trail of I'm so ungrateful. I don't treat him how he deserves. I'm selfish, etc. Like so many thoughts. And I turned a comment I made into the person that I am. I replayed the scenario in my head for days. And I apologized a lot to the point I don't know if it got annoying. I don't think it did, but it could, it could. And for a lot of people in a a lot of situations like this, it does get annoying. And the thing is, each time I heard Patrick say it was okay and he forgave me, I felt icky still. It didn't take all of that feeling away. And at this point, I didn't realize it in the moment, but I wasn't actually looking for his forgiveness because I had already received that. I knew he wasn't mad at me. I was mad at myself for hurting somebody that I love and the repair I needed to make was also within myself. I wasn't afraid Patrick was going to leave me or think I was a horrible person. The conflict I was having was accepting that I was deserving of love and forgiveness from him. I had to remind myself that good people can do bad things and the bad things don't then equate those people to be a bad person. Good people mess up. The difference between good people and bad people is that bad people a lot of times don't care to do anything about it or they don't even recognize that they did something that was unkind. So if you're in a place where you feel really stuck with the situation, and you still are feeling all of this guilt, what might be happening is you're feeling toxic shame and not realizing it. And the conversation you need to have might not be with that other person, it might need to be within yourself. Okay, number two, letting people down is part of the price of admission to a full life. I could go on for days with this one. But it really is that simple. And so I don't really need to go on for days. If you're wondering why it's so hard, so stressful and so never ending to make everyone happy, it's because it is impossible to do that. Not just because it's hard. It's hard because it's impossible. Now, this is not an excuse to just be a jerk all the time and only think of yourself. That's not this at all. But when we accept life's terms, life starts to be more fun. Life doesn't have to be so serious all the time we don't have to be calculating every single move we make, then we don't end up actually being ourselves. Perfect scenarios are awesome in concept. I love thinking about them, but they rarely pan out. They rarely are possible, if ever. Compromise here is key. Acting in love rather than resentment is key. And seeing people including you as equals rather than creating a hierarchy system for who deserves what is key. Turns legitimate questions into interrogation. Now, this comes up when we feel ourselves or those around us getting defensive. Often, questions that we receive or we give to somebody else come up out of curiosity, they come up out of wonder and genuine concern or attempts to understand someone or something. Questions are not always a result of someone judging you or trying to prove a point. However, When we feel unsure about ourselves and our choices, when something is questioned, then often we feel attacked. And it's important to check the facts here. What is this person saying versus what am I hearing them say? Where am I inserting judgment and assumption? And do I need some simple clarification here before I start to defend myself? Number four attention is not love and belonging. And this is something that you guys probably have heard me say a million times or talk about a million times. And it will be on this list forever and ever because we always need the reminder. This one is tough because attention sometimes does feel like love and belonging in the moment. But what I know to be true is you don't have to perform to get that attention to be loved. That is not how it works. Belonging is an experience that happens when you just show up and it works out. You don't have to do anything to belong somewhere. And loving something about someone isn't the same as loving someone. For example, I may love a song that Taylor Swift releases, but that does not mean I necessarily love her, which if you think about it, why do you think so many people with fame and attention and money and all this stuff feel so lonely and sad and talk about that constantly? You know, attention is not love and belonging. So Taylor is not her music. Her music is part of her and part of who she is. Sure, it comes from who she is, but is not why she deserves love from the people she surrounds herself with. I put this one in here, one, because it's, tough and we have to remind ourselves of this constantly but this year I had to make a decision that I knew would result in certain kinds of attention diminishing in my life and this attention was something that felt good and that I um, sometimes would fall back on a lot of times when I was feeling low and keeping that attention at this point in my life was costing me more energy than it actually gave me and fueled me. And the equation of it just wasn't adding up, like it wasn't working out anymore. And I had to remind myself that without that attention, I'm still loved and I still have a place where I belong, regardless if that is there for me still. That actually is not love. That is not where I fully belong if I still have to perform in some way to be able to show up there. And so I don't know if some of you have to face hard decisions this year. Maybe you faced them last year. where We have to let some things go that aren't all bad, but they aren't worth it anymore. And for me, the fear was, where will I fall back now when I'm feeling low? And I had to remind myself, if I was falling back on that to feel better of myself, I wasn't actually falling back on legitimate love and belonging. Okay, number five. You don't have to understand someone to love them and treat them kindly. And this one was big for me this year. And I mean that in the way that it was hard for me this year. The past couple of years, as most of y'all know, have been very challenging in this regard. And especially this year and this summer when I felt like everywhere I turned, there was a debate about pro-life and pro-choice and religion and Christianity and is it bad and is it good? And I started to get really upset constantly. And I was having these like wars inside my brain and I was writing all these things out that I wanted to post and most of the time I didn't end up posting them. And it ended with me finally scheduling a two-hour therapy session with my own therapist because I couldn't essentially deal and settle down with my feelings around A lot of times, people in my personal life that had different opinions than me. And what I learned was we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that created those issues. Black and white thinking does not offer much space to create opportunities to understand other people's points of view. And even if I don't fully understand someone's point of view, because that's another black and white kind of way to think, like I have to fully understand how you can think this, how you can view this, how you can believe this, how this can be good, how this can be bad, I have to fully understand all of that to accept it or to to love somebody or to be able to have a kind relationship with somebody. Um, that's another way of black and white thinking. I have to fully do something like that in order to have some kind of resolve. That doesn't really work. And something that I would fall back on when it came to this is people don't have to be me for me to love them. And expecting people to think like me, to act like me, to talk like me, to believe like me, expecting that from everybody else, expecting me from everybody else, was setting me up to be disappointed. And I need to treat myself like me and I need to accept me from me, but I need to accept and understand and expect you from you. So you don't have to understand somebody to love them and treat them kindly. Number six. Making fun a priority is a non-negotiable and savoring mundane experiences makes life so, so much bigger. I don't have a lot to say about this one because, again, this one's really, really simple. And I am somebody, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So something that I do is I just look for the future a lot. I look forward to events and trips and just things on the calendar. I look forward to the, these big things all the time. And while I had a lot of big things this, this year, and I had a lot of trips and I had a lot of events and I had a lot of that, I also had a lot of sitting at home and cooking the same meal that I normally cook and doing a puzzle and watching TV and hanging out with the same people in the same city in the same restaurant. Like I had a lot of that as well. And if we did the math, I had more of that than I had these big trips. And I personally do not want to look back on my life and only have savored the big, big parts because they are the smallest part of my life. I want to actually be living all the time. And this is hard for me again, because I'm a seven and I look forward to things. And I think there's something to be said that part of me really does like the buildup of an event more than the event itself. And so I think that stretches that event out even longer. And as I look forward to events that I'm waiting to get to, sometimes it takes me out of the present moment that I'm in and I miss out on those mundane experiences that actually can make life so much bigger. And this is that whole cliche thing of like, it's the small stuff that makes the big stuff. It's the everyday life things, going to our favorite restaurant down the street or playing our favorite card game or watching a TV show or getting a routine of making the same kind of dinner and perfecting it to the way we like. That, that Those are the like parts of our life that end up making the majority of our life. And so for me, I have decided that making fun in these little parts of my life is a non-negotiable. Like I I want to look back on those nights when I'm playing cards or doing a puzzle and remember that like I enjoyed that. I wasn't just passing the time. And for those of you that might be thinking to yourself, I didn't have a lot of big events this year, or I don't have a lot of stuff to look forward to. Well, we're in charge of that. So we can actually make the big events, those small events. It's all about how we are thinking and how we're choosing to view what life is in front of us right now. Number seven, where you stare, you will steer. This is the idea that what you look for, you tend to find. And I think this kind of encouragement can be Well, really annoying to people sometimes because it feels too simple. But that's kind of what I like about it. It is simple, it goes back to the filters that we look at life through. We don't always get to pick our filters. That's True in life, sometimes we create these filters out of our experiences. And in the beginning, we don't realize they exist. And so it's, it doesn't feel like we picked them. But once we realize they exist, it opens up this really exciting space to have the opportunity to change the filter if it isn't working for us. And yes, the filter might be hard to change, it might take time and effort, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. And I played soccer growing up and something that was so simple but took so much work for me personally was remembering that where you point your planted foot when you kick the ball is where the ball is going to go. I just wanted to have the ball go to wherever I wanted to go and not have to worry about that part of my body. But ignoring the fact that what I wanted was just playing not how the game worked, not how life worked, didn't make my way actually work putting the effort to work on the skill is what worked. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. This is life. You want to find something different, but you keep looking in the same place in the same way, hoping that things will just align eventually. This is not how life works. Where you stare, you will steer and you might need to start learning how to stare somewhere else. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Number eight, pain is a motivator. And validating painful feelings and experiences does not mean you can't be hopeful and optimistic. There's a couple things in this one that I want to point out. One, pain can mean and do a lot of things. One of those things is it creates motivation. Comfort keeps us still and that is fine if you don't have plans or ideas or hopes to go anywhere. That's totally fine. But pain is what a lot of times drives us to do something else. People will not change unless they feel some kind of discomfort like pain. We need a reason to do something different. So that's one of those things that's where you, stare, you will steer. If we look at pain as this big bad thing that's always just there to like ruin our lives, then you're not going to do much with it. But if you look at it and you're like, oh, wait, that's something that can be helping me. It's a motivator. Just like pain motivates you to take your hand off of a hot stove, it might be motivating you to change some other behavior as well. The other thing that's important to acknowledge here is that while it is important to validate feelings and validate painful experiences it doesn't mean that's where everything stops. Encouraging someone to do something else while they're in pain is not invalidating somebody's feelings. And I don't know if I've talked about this on here before, but this year I talked with a client about how annoying all of the it's okay to not be okay quotes have become all over the internet because It started to feel like the validation of people's experiences, which is the point of that quote. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to acknowledge that you're in a tough spot. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to not have everything together. That's the point of that quote. But eventually it started to feel like that was offering an excuse to stay the same. And what that quote needed was another line. And then a couple of weeks later that client came in and brought me a frame he had made with a picture inside that said it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there forever, okay? And I love that because I feel like a lot of people get really scared in these moments when there's people around them or within ourselves that hey, saying let's do something about this means that I'm like invalidating the fact that stuff is hard. Things are allowed to be hard and you're allowed to do things about those hard things. So it's okay to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there forever. Okay. Number nine. Okay. This has just become one of my favorite things to say. And it is trying is cool. And I got this quote from an Instagram post from Erin Lane, who was on the podcast, I think over the summer, talking about her book, Something Other Than a Mother. So then later I saw her post this and it was a little note and it said, trying is cool. And I love that because it is cool. Like trying is cool. That's the thing that actually is important to pay attention to versus success and succeeding and failing. The thing that I value in people is a lot of times not what they've accomplished, but the effort and the motivation and the aura of them, right? Not the things that they have done which goes back to the whole attention um, is not the same thing as love and belonging. And this made, it made me also think of two other quotes that I just want to share with you guys from two really cool people, one being Jay-Z and one being Thomas Edison. And the first one is from Jay-Z, from a Forbes interview where he was asked about something he had accomplished and him being a genius and all of that. And he said, the genius thing that we did is that we didn't give up. And that is so enlightening to me in a simple way, which if you've caught on from this whole episode, I love things that are simple. um, Because sometimes we just make life a lot harder than it has to be. And life is hard enough on its own, we don't have to convolute it even more. But again, the genius thing that we did is that we didn't give up. It's not like I had this special sauce, or I am just like the smartest person in the world, or I was given this gift that nobody else had. No, I just kept trying. That was what was revolutionary about what I did. And everybody listening right now has the ability to do that. Everybody listening has the ability to not give up on things. And the other one from Thomas Edison is our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And if you think about it, people succeed the last time they try, right? Not the first time they give up or the first time they mess up. They succeed the last time they try. And if we looked at things through that lens, it would be definitely change the way we see people out there who haven't gotten or even see ourselves. It would change how we see ourselves and where we haven't gotten in life yet, whether that's relationally or work or personally, whatever it is that you are out there continuing to accomplish. If you looked at your ability to continue the path more than you looked at The times where the path didn't go the way you wanted it to go, you might find more of that motivation that you need to keep going. And something else I want to say here is if you are hyper focused on the failures that you have had, if you are hyper focused on how people see you because you haven't accomplished X, Y, and Z, I would encourage you to look at the relationships in your life because, again, The things that I find most special and revolutionary and beautiful and the things that I find just that I like the most about the people around me is not the big accomplishments that they've had. It's not the checklists that they have. It's not the money they have. It's not that. It's how I feel when I'm around them. And if I'm around people who are encouraging, if I'm around people who aren't focused on uh the end result, or looking a certain way, rather they're focused on experiencing life and believing in themselves and other people that's what I want to be around That's what I like about people. I'm not just attracted to somebody who's accomplished one great thing and tried one time. you know all right. This takes us to the last one, and it is life is not and never will be fair and I know this seems. I don't know, actually, you might not be thinking this, but I have a fear that you might be thinking this, that this is like cliche and it's kind of like rough and mean and something that some mean teacher told you back when you were in second grade. It reminds me of something that like Miss Trunchbull would say in Matilda, like it's not a very lovey thing. At the same time, we can say it with love and kindness. Life is not and never will be fair. And that is just something that exists in the world that we live in. And I wanted to end with this one because I think it actually lies at the center of a lot of our stuck places. And I don't want people, although we're going to do whatever we're going to do, but I don't want people to wait for life to be fair to start participating in a life that you want to be living. We want justice to show up before we take action a lot of times. And actually, a lot of times we need action for justice to even show up. Life is not about what cards you're dealt. It's about what you do with those cards that you are dealt. We can't help what we get. We aren't in charge of all of that. We can't control all of that. And we can't get a redo. We can't get a reshuffle and get a new hand of cards. And I don't know about those who are listening to this right now or today or whenever you're listening to this, but when I push this truth away, I get so resentful. And you know who suffers the most? I do when I push this away, other people around me aren't suffering, I'm creating suffering within myself. It's one of those moments where refusing to acknowledge reality turns my pain, which could be a motivator into suffering. And if you've been paying attention, you might have thought to yourself, well, why don't you take that pain and use it as a motivator to use the cards that you have in a way that maybe you don't want to have to use, but it works better for you. And I want to close with something from the episode I did on self-compassion. And this is something that I learned from the teachings of Kristen Neff, who is a huge, huge trailblazer in the research of self-compassion. And one of the elements of self-compassion is self-kindness versus self-judgment. And in that element, she talks about, and I'm going to just quote something from her website. She says, people cannot always be or get exactly what they want. When this reality is denied or fought against, suffering increases in the form of stress, frustration, and self-criticism. When this reality is accepted with sympathy and kindness, greater emotional equanimity is experienced. And I wanted to close with this because this is so important. Accepting the reality of life, when we accept the reality, we don't have to ask questions like, what is wrong with me? because the reality is that what is wrong with you is the same thing that's wrong with every single person. We are human, right? Life is not fair. And everybody is a part of that. We see a lot of the inconsistencies that have to do with us, but we don't see a lot of the inconsistencies that have to do with other people. And so when we accept that life is just not fair for everybody but we're going to get a bigger, a more front row view and image and picture of the unfairness that we experience most of the time. If we acknowledge that, we then can move farther away from that and realize that this isn't about us. This isn't about an attack on the cards that I've been dealt. It's the fact that I need to focus more on the cards that I have been dealt and what I can do with them rather than the ones that I didn't get or the ones that other people got. So there you have it the 10 truths that have helped me get through the year and make the most out of the year that I had and I will say again one of my favorite years although I guess that's kind of unfair because a lot of the years of my life I don't really remember much from and who who knows maybe if I had a full memory of when I was three I would have said that year was better but I don't. So we're going to accept the reality of that and say that this is one of my favorite years ever. So if you guys have any questions, again, of course, any questions, feedback, comments, you can send them to me, katherine at unitherapypodcast.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can also do that at cat.defada or at unitherapypodcast. And since it is my birthday week, started yesterday, even though my birthday is over, I thought about this and I just am going to say in my head that everybody agrees with me because my birthday was on a Sunday it feels like I get two birthday weeks right so last week was my birthday because it was like leading up to my birthday but it actually wasn't the week of my birthday because a week starts on Sunday and so this week is also my birthday week because my birthday was yesterday Sunday and it gets to carry through the rest of the week which is really important for many reasons but one being last week the crumble flavors for those of you who don't know I'm obsessed with crumble I haven't talked about it for a long time on the show, but last week the crumble flavors were not good. So I'm very much hoping as I'm recording this, that Sunday night, a new batch of much better flavors are released so I can enjoy that during the second week of my birthday week. (laughs) Anyway, since it's my birthday week again, I would just like to ask you guys for a birthday gift and that is for you guys, if you have not, to rate and review the podcast. You can do that on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, you can scroll to the bottom. You can even add a comment, a kind comment. If you do have feedback that is more constructive, I would also really appreciate that. You can send that to my email. And you can, again, that is Catherine at unittherapypodcast.com And I just ask that you say it in a kind way so I can receive it in the best way as well. And I can actually use your feedback. So that does it. And stay tuned for Couch Talks on Wednesday. Again, it's going to be a meaningful gift guide that I'm excited about. It's going to be things that I have given and things that I have received that have been really special and important in my gift giving and receiving life. So I hope you have the day you need to have, the week you need to have, the birthday you need to have, the birthday weeks you need to have, whatever it is. And I will talk to you on Wednesday for Couch Talks.
0: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development,